What's happening, everybody? And welcome back to another episode of Rapping with Refum. I'm your host, Keith Berkelhammer. So today, I welcome Dr. Dean Miller from the Living Coral Biobank. What's up there, Dean? Uh, good morning over here from Australia on the Great Barrier Reef. Very nice to be uh, chatting with you and the audience, Keith. Yeah, I'm uh, very excited to have you on, Dean. It's, it's Friday morning there where you are in Queensland, Australia. Is that where you're at? Yep, absolutely. Just near Port Douglas, so uh, up towards the the beginning of the far northern section of the Great Barrier Reef. That's so cool. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm just looking out at the water now. It's a lovely day out there, and um, I might try to sneak out later. This oh, afternoon. wow. You actually live right on the uh, the water there, huh? Pretty sweet. Yeah, it is home. It is that, home. I live and breathe the Great Barrier Reef. That's, that's and, awesome. Uh, it's very much part of the family, I think. Yeah, well, I'm a little jealous. Um, just for, for <laughs> folks that don't know Dean, Dean's a marine biologist. He's a filmmaker photographer and the managing managing director and project coordinator of Great Barrier Reef Legacy, which is a nonprofit organization based in Port Douglas, Australia, which is dedicated to the conservation of coral reefs around the world. And uh, they have a, a, a very innovative uh, array of projects. But before we start chatting with Dean, I want to thank the sponsors for this live stream, both Bulk Reef Supply and Ecotech Marine. Really appreciate them supporting this show. And I also appreciate all you folks that are tuning in to watch as always uh pre please spread the word hit that like button so more people can uh, find the stream and uh, feel free to drop your comments and questions in the chat we certainly want to um you know get uh, get a lot of questions to dean so yeah dean um listen you're a busy guy and i really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us on this uh, very important work I, you know i saw an article in coral magazine about about this and I was really very, very intrigued. So I reached out to Matt Peterson and James Lawrence at Coral and they were able to connect me to you. So I wanna thank them for that in terms of making that connection. But you know, I think the best way for us to start this live stream is to show a short video uh, you folks made about the project and then kind of come back and dig a little bit deeper into the uh, particulars. So. With that, I'm going to run the video. Do you want to uh, set anything up here, Dean, before I uh, run that video? Um, just that this video was released uh, at the end of 2019 when we launched the project. Um, a lot has changed since then, so I've got a lot to update you on, uh, which is very, very exciting. We're, we're scaling very quickly. But you're absolutely right. This video will set the scene for what we're trying to do and um, how we're going about it. All right. I'm going, to, uh, I'm going to roll it. It's about three minutes or something, right? Yeah. Okay. Here we go. It's well known that corals are dying worldwide and that this is due to climate change. Current approaches to saving coral reefs are not working. With each succeeding coral bleaching, we are losing corals and coral reefs. Great Barrier Reef Legacy has created the Living Coral Biobank Project to collect and keep alive all hard coral species from around the world. And by doing that, we will preserve and maintain the living biodiversity of corals and their symbiotic partners. The coral biobank will work because corals, unlike most marine life, can live in perpetuity. Scientists have discovered that corals live with a host of symbionts. We will keep both the corals and the symbionts alive so that when they are returned to their native state, they will have both together and they need both together and no other project is doing this. This project will assist any research, restoration and recolonizing efforts for coral reefs worldwide and builds on a lifetime of work by Dr. Charlie Verin and the Corals of the World Project in how to rebuild corals in the natural system. But more than that, it pulls in industry leaders, Cairns Marine, who have been successfully collecting, transporting and keeping corals alive in aquaria for over 40 years. Cairns Marine is at the forefront of working with corals, collection, transport, husbanding. So for us, given that we're so passionate about the reef and the corals, and we do view ourselves as custodians, uh, it's a natural fit for us to want to be involved in such a fantastic project like this. We've just come back from the Northern Great Barrier Reef where corals have been decimated, firstly by mass bleaching and then by cyclones. We've got to collect what's left now because if we don't, it will be too late. The Living Coral Biobank project has already started and we're out here right now finding the best places to start our collections on the Great Barrier Reef. By the end of 2020, we will have collected over 200 species, representing half of all Great Barrier Reef species and a quarter of the world's coral species. 
We have the technology right now to set up a biobank. And the reason we have that is because we've got all the skills in-house. We've been doing this for a long time. We know how to collect corals, we know how to store them, and we know how to grow them. So we have the capacity right here and now to actually make this work. We may not have all the answers to saving coral reefs, but this project allows us to get a genuine start. This project is achievable immediately, and the best part is everyone can get involved. The Living Coral Biobank is the most important project we can undertake right now for corals and coral reefs. And we are back. Yeah, now that really did uh, sum it up very, very uh, well there, Dean. So talk, talk about the uh, the timeline of the project. You, you uh, mentioned that that video was shot back in 2019. A lot has been accomplished since then. But um, yeah, kind of take us through in terms of what you guys have accomplished um, to date and what you think the, um, the is realistic in the future. Absolutely. So I guess the timeline for us is, is rapid. Uh, we realise that things are happening on the Great Barrier Reef and, and reefs worldwide very, very fast. Uh, we launched that project in 2019, just at the end in December, um, and that was on the back of, uh, you know, two bleaching events uh, back to back. So we had 2016, 2017 on the Great Barrier Reef, uh, which saw over a thousand kilometres from Port Douglas, where I am, north up to the, the tip of Australia, um, undergo really heavy, heavy bleaching impact. Uh, um, and we went up there and we did an expedition and, you know, we found reefs that had effectively died in a couple of months. The water just got so hot um, that, that virtually all the, the different types of corals, uh, bar a few species, um, actually, you know, uh, cooked, uh, essentially, mm -hmm. um, which is really depressing to see. Uh, we were also supporting other projects, uh, looking at things like assisted evolution, trying to get uh, you know, all the coral species to be heat tolerant. Um, and, and we know that there are a couple of key species like Acropora tenuous, for instance, that do really, really well. Um, so what does that coral have that the others don't? And can we learn something mm. from that and adapt the others in time to get them through, you know, the next decade or two? And what we realized very quickly was, um, you know, amazing projects, absolutely. But, you know, possibly 5, 10, 15, 20 years away from, you know, being uh, applicable on a, a regional scale. And, and the Great Barrier Reef is very, very big. It's 2,300 kilometers as long there's 3,000 individual reefs and then if we're going to think about the rest of the world as well we have to move very very fast and so we kind of took a step back and we said okay what can we do today that actually does something very very meaningful and, and protects the biodiversity of what's out there almost as like an insurance policy or, or a coral arc idea you know the classic Noah's Ark go mm. and get two of everything and, and put them on a boat and, and hope for the best um, should you ever need them um, so that's essentially what the project is so since 2019, uh, we, we launched, um, the media just went crazy, both in Australia and the US, um, and Coral Mag's been a very key supporter of that. Um, and we've uh, been using our partner facilities, Cairns Marine and Sustainable Reefs, to look after living fragments of uh, uh, probably about 80 species. Um, and then recently we just finished building our first holding facility, and that is capable of holding 8,000 live fragments. And we're just signed all the papers to have our second holding facility at Cairns Aquarium here in um, North Queensland, which is be a publicly accessible public aquarium. So people can actually go visit and that will have a 12,000 fragment holding capacity. So total holding capacity will, will be 20,000 live fragments within our facility. Then we still use Cairns Marine and Sustainable Reefs are our industry partners and they'll look after backup fragments. And then beyond that, we hope to create the largest network of, um, I guess, marine tanks in existence, both public and private aquariums, which is where some of your listeners might come in uh, to, to play, where you can actually look after the, the backup fragments from the Great Barrier Reef. And as we scale up to around the world, uh, you know, um, corals from elsewhere as well. So it's really because of 
the coral collecting, uh, holding and distributing industry, and of course the, the reef keeping community that this project is available. This is not led by the scientists. You know, the scientists are playing catch up to you guys, uh, which I think is really, really exciting. You have the skills, the technology and the experience over the last 30 or 40 years. You've been chipping away at it in your lounge rooms, in your sheds, in your office spaces, and you guys have actually cracked the code on, on how to keep corals alive. And it's that process that we are actually using to create the world's largest living coral biobank. So I need to thank everyone who's listening and, uh, you know, the pioneers out there who, who tested all the different types of equipment and, and really just found the, the, uh, the sweet spot for keeping corals. No, it's, it's amazing. So, so why did you become, um, Dean, involved in this project? What, uh, what led you to, this, uh, to the living coral biobank? Yeah, that's a really good question. Look, back in the day, I wouldn't even look at corals when I went for a dive. I was, uh, you know, definitely a shark man or looking for, uh, you know, big rays or schools of fish or things with teeth, really. Um, but it's it's been these last four mass coral bleaching events on the Great Barrier Reef now in the last six years. It's, it's really turned my attention to corals. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of a funny thing to say, and I say it often, but you can't have a coral reef without corals. Um, they are the absolute fundamental building blocks of these amazing ecosystems. And um, I, I realised very quickly that unless we can do something to, you know, maintain that biodiversity of corals, everything above that in the food chain and the food web is going to disappear. So, um, yeah, I, I've fallen in love with corals, you know, over the last, I guess, five or so years. Um, and I can absolutely see the attraction as we have now over 130 species in the in the biobank. Um ranging uh, across different genera, um, you know, just seeing the intricate structures, the different colours, the, the symbiotic relationships between algae and bacteria, and, and just learning so much more about these animals. I can appreciate them on a, on a much greater scale. And, um, yeah, I, I can't go for a dive now without going straight to corals and making sure they're okay, and then everything else is a, a secondary thought. So, um, yes, corals are very much close to my heart now. So we got a question from um, um, Bert Minshew is wondering, and uh, you know we we talked about this before the stream, uh, Dean, in terms of some specific questions about the uh, the systems, and and, and you uh, you might um, uh, you know come back uh, in a few months with, with somebody that uh, has a lot more um, detail in terms of the, the the key details of the setups and the equipment and all that stuff. But maybe you know this answer. Um, wonder if the holding holding facilities are pumping in ocean water or using synthetic salt. Curious of their parameters. Yeah, absolutely. And look, um, I'll confess right now, I am not the, the aquarist on this project. I am the, the project leader bringing together so many different experts from so many different uh, areas. Um, and so I kind of oversee things. Uh, but I do know that we are using uh, natural seawater uh, to a degree and then, uh, you know, bumping certain things up with, with synthetics or natural salts as far as we can use. So we do try to maintain as close as possible to the natural system as, as we can. Um, but I was saying to Keith uh, earlier this week, I'm very happy to bring the, the chief aquarist on, on the uh, show in a month or so, and, and you can have all your questions answered because I'm, I'm not able to do it to a high degree. So uh, a couple more questions. Reefkeeper uh, is asking, this is an interesting question. I wonder if you guys are, are studying this. Uh, I've often wondered if corals we keep in our reef tanks would survive if returned to the wild. Has, has there been any, um, you know, research on that end, do you know of? No, and we will actually conduct that research. So part of what we'll do is obviously, you know, there's no point holding these corals unless they can go back out to the wild. So it's a really good question, a really good thought. Uh, we're starting to work with reef restoration programs and they're starting to pop up all over the world, particularly in Australia. Um, and so what we'll do is actually bring corals in from the wild, put them in the tanks for a given amount of time and then start to put them back out onto the reef and, and see how well they do. Um, of course, there's lots of restrictions in uh, that respect in terms of uh, the government and they, they certainly are not open to that idea just yet. Um, but in saying that, five years ago, they weren't open to the idea of reef restoration and now that is a widespread uh, activity on the Great Barrier Reef. So we know that things are moving very fast and this is an emerging space. Um, and yeah, we will absolutely work with scientific uh, research teams to actually find the best ways to get the, the, the corals back out on the reef and, and see how well they're doing. So I guess, you know, what we're doing is, is in, in its infancy, mm. this is really an insurance policy to try to get what's out there now. And the, the thing is with every coral bleaching event here on the Great Barrier Reef, we're losing the most vulnerable corals and, uh, and reefs. And so all those, you know, corals that are just 
really, uh, I guess, um, well, vulnerable to environmental changes uh, are the ones that are dropping off first. Mm. And we're already seeing that on local reefs. Um, so it's it's a race against the clock to actually get those into the facility and hold them and, and you know, hope that we never have to use them in the future, but at least they're there if we do. Has this issue in terms of the uh, mass bleaching events, has it been accelerating the last year or two, or um, have you just kind of been having uh, one per year over the last, uh, you know, few years? Or are you guys seeing some, some uh, you know, more frequency of this stuff happening more recently? Yeah, absolutely. So I've been diving on the Great Barrier Reef for about 25 years. And, you know, we had one bleaching event in 1998, um, which was, you know, relatively big for its time, but it seemed to be a one-off event. And, you know, since that, we were more worried about, you know, the effects of tourism, overfishing, Cranathorn mm. uh, starfish, water quality. And then 2016 came along and, and really, you know, just showed us in, a, in the most uh, profound way that, you know, Increasing water temperature is without a doubt the single biggest threat to the Great Barrier Reef and coral reefs worldwide. Then we had 2017, so that was a back-to-back -back event. Then we had uh, 2020 and then 2022, uh, which was this summer just gone, was the first La Nina uh, summer that we actually had coral bleaching. So that's four in six years. Wow. And, and we can see that this is becoming a regular pattern now. So um, yeah, the, the race is on. Um, it's a, a scary proposition how quick things are happening here and how big our reef system is. You know, I, I guess everyone working on the Great Barrier Reef probably thought it was too big to fail. Uh, you know, it's, it's about the size of Italy, so it's a, an insanely big reef system. That in itself is, you know, its resilience uh, potential uh, to reseed and, and rehabilitate itself. But um, we are seeing big areas now bleaching, not just in the far north where it was in 2016, 2017, but now reef wide and in the La Nina phase, which is generally our cooler and more wet sort of monsoon phase. Um, so yeah, I think everyone's really worried about what the future of the, the Great Barrier Reef might be now. And um, even the government reports that are coming out uh, have put the um, the, uh, outlook of the Great Barrier Reef from poor to very poor. So mm. even our government has, has, has recognised that, you know, we are starting to lose the battle. So, yeah, now there's there's these big intervention-style programs uh, beginning like the reef restoration-style projects. Um, so, yeah, everything's now on the table. What, uh, what percent do you guys know in terms of what percent of the Great Barrier Reef has had a uh, bleaching event? Is that uh, like a... Um... 20%, 25%, uh, no idea. No, it's, it's much higher than that now. Wow. Um, it's probably about 90% of the Great Barrier Reef has experienced wow. you know, uh, high levels of bleaching now in wow. the last six years. Um, and in the last 25 or so years, we've actually lost 50% of coral cover on the Great Barrier Reef through cyclones, crown of thorns, uh, poor water quality, and now coral bleaching. So, um, yeah, 50% is a lot of coral gone. Uh, so, you know, things are escalating quite quickly. So that's why this project's so good. Uh, you know, we're not waiting for a, a lag in technology. You know, we're, we're not waiting for researchers to come up with a solution. This is all applicable right now. And, again, because of, of your community and your industry, um, that is you know, sort of hone down this science into keeping corals. So our job now is to get out there and collect them as quick as possible. Then we, we rely on our experts to actually keep them alive in the holding facility. So, yeah, to me, it's a, an amazing, you know, ability to just get the job done. So Bill Saltwaterhaven uh, comment is, I would absolutely love to be a part of what you are doing, Doc. <laughs> can, we, <laughs> can we help here in the U.S. of A.? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, no, we're really excited about the sport coming from the US. Um, and recently, uh, the Washington DC Area Marine Acro Society, or WAMAS, um, with Tom, La Tom Land as the president, just recently donated 20,000 US dollars, which will go into the uh, facility build at the campground. So we have a lot of now financial support coming from the US. Um, on the back of that, you can actually adopt a coral fragment within our holding facility, and that allows us to actually um, keep and maintain those living fragments in our systems. And then as uh, our systems evolve and we scale up, we're actually looking for people like yourselves to, to look after backup fragments in their home tanks. So you can actually go and register your interest on uh, coralbiobank.org or reeflegacy.org um, and, and get on the website and, yeah, register your interest. Let us know where you are. And um, as fragments become available, we'll start to send them out worldwide. So it's a, an amazing uh, ability for people with home tanks 
or office tanks to actually put them to good use and, and be part of this uh, global conservation program. That's amazing. So uh, essentially, you guys would be shipping it to uh, whoever uh, wants to participate in terms of hobbyists that want to um, bank those uh, those uh, backup uh, corals. Absolutely. Yep. So uh, Hydro Space LLC is making a couple of comments. Um, uh, the comment is uh, in question, and the symbios exclamation point. Wow, would love to hear more about how you inventory the symbiotic algae and bacteria. Any special effort to preserve them outside of the coral host? And have you published any studies on the microbial symbiotes you've banked? No. Um, again, all in its infancy. Uh, our job right now is to get out there and collect the corals as quick as we can uh, before we lose those. The, the sort of workflow that goes through this now, um, we work with Dr. Charlie Varon, who many of you all know uh, is considered the godfather of corals um, and has described and, and named over 20% of the world's coral species. He's our underwater identifier. So uh, a team of us go underwater. Charlie says which coral he wants to actually add to the collection. Uh, the coral collector, uh, which is a commercial fisher, actually comes in and takes that coral, bring it to the surface. Um, a, a little fragment is taken, a voucher sample they're called, plus genetic material, plus tissue samples. They go off to the Queensland Museum and then the other fragments come back to the facility. They get fragmented up, put on little microchip bases and they become part of our collection. And then beyond the, um, the Queensland Museum uh, sample, uh, the CSIRO, which is a, another government organisation in Australia, are actually taking the genetic sample and they're creating what, uh, is called a, a DNA library of every living thing in Australia. Mm. So we're supplying the, the corals for that. So within that process, um, the Queensland Museum will actually run the full genetic analysis on every coral colony that we pull out of the water. Um, and so, and also storing the tissue sample. So within those tissue samples, someone will be able to access those and, and look at the symbiotic relationship or uh, composition. Um, so that is coming down the track. Obviously, we need more funding to, to pull that off. Um, so yeah, it's, it's very, very exciting. And again, it, you know, this is early days where we're really just getting the corals into the tanks and, and holding them at the moment, but it's, it's such an interesting part of what we can do. And, and, uh, Queensland museum, you know, uh, misplaced a sample, uh, of one of the tissues and genetic material. Um, and what's exciting about it is that they can just come back to the facility and take another one because this is a living biobank system so um yeah it's very unique and i think researchers are really opening up to the idea that you know this is an untapped resource they don't have to go out to the great barrier reef and have a dr charlie Varon, which not many people do um, to get out there and identify corals it's, it's very very hard to do underwater uh, and so this is literally a, a collection that will have its own catalog and its own database where you can actually order living fragments tissue samples genetic material um, and we can send them out to you either alive or or uh, cryogenically um, frozen so that's so um, cool yeah the potential is absolutely huge um so old man reefer i want to thank you so much for that very generous uh, super chat donation in fact uh, if you don't mind i'm gonna uh, i'm gonna pass that battle that uh, donation along to the living coral uh, biobank so in fact uh, if anybody else wants to make a super chat donation i will uh, i will make sure it gets to the uh the dean and his uh, organization. I think it's such an awesome uh, cause. So uh, feel free to drop a super chat. And uh, yeah, I think it's a, uh, oh, thank it's you. a great thing. I mean, it's not it's not twenty thousand dollars there, Dean, but you know, every little bit helps, right? Absolutely, every little bit helps, and I, I can't stress that enough. Um, you know, we have enough money right now for the holding facilities, uh, and we're very very lucky. We had a uh, a piece come out on Australian TV uh, called uh, ABC Australian Story on uh, Dr. Charlie Varon and the Biobank Project and, and his life and career. And on the back of that, we had $200,000 of donations from the Australian public saying, you guys just need support. Like I was saying to Keith earlier, we don't get government support for this project because we keep falling between the cracks. We're not considered reef restoration. We're not considered research. Um, we're, we're almost pure conservation and there's very little funding for that uh, through the Australian government. So we rely exclusively on, um, you know, the world's public and uh, it, it really is working. Um, so we have enough money for our, our equipment now and now we're just chasing funds to get out there and do the collections, um, which thankfully is the fun bit, getting out on the water and underneath and, um, and getting those corals. Yeah, no, for sure. So, all right, no government involvement, which I guess is a blessing and a curse, right? Because um, you're uh, unencumbered, right, in terms of what you guys can do without government involvement, but you don't have the uh, 
you know, you're, you're not uh, getting the uh, the funding that you so desperately need from from a government entity. What um, what else is going on in terms of politics in this uh, type of project? I mean, is it pretty much, you know, politically uh, no no issues? I mean, are there a lot of other organizations involved besides, you know, Corals of the World and Carnes Marine? Yeah, look, um, saving the Great Barrier Reef has become a, a political football, I guess, mm. and it, it is often picked around. Um, the politics in Australia have changed in the last couple of months. We've had a change of government, and that has allowed us to, I guess, have some faith and security in what's coming in the future and a more even and balanced approach to funding. So, you know, fingers crossed we, we may, you know, fall into those funding rounds. Um, but to be honest, we kind of keep the blinkers on and uh, put the head down and, and try to get boots on the ground and, and just get the job done. And I think that's our real advantage here is that we are, uh, you know, a very uh, go get them style nonprofit organization who just gets the job done and, and to not have to worry about the politics and um, the, uh, the reporting and, uh, you know, all kinds of things that come with government money, I think is an absolute blessing as you stay. It means that we can be very rapid and nimble. We can um, adjust to the conditions. Uh, as I was saying to Keith earlier, you know, it's a really nice day out there today. I can see the weather's going to be great tomorrow. We can stick the coral collecting boat out there tomorrow. And, you know, should you go through a government process, that would take, you know, weeks, if not a month to get approved. And so I think our system is good um, and it, it kind of matches our style of the project. You know, there is a real time critical factor here. Um, you know, we're, we're We've potentially got another bleaching event coming uh, mm. this summer. It's looking like it's going to be a warm one. And again, we're just going to lose, you know, coral species. You know, th those mo most vulnerable species are, are going to keep dropping off the bottom of the list. And um, unless we can get, get out there very, very quickly, uh, we will lose them locally. And then eventually, you know, that, that will become extinct. So, um, yeah, it's really boots on the ground for us and, and getting out there as often as we can. So we've got some more support coming in here, Dean. We've got uh, Michael uh, Badzi with a very generous donation of about 50 bucks. Rob, uh, uh, thank you for what you are doing, exclamation point. Thank you, Michael. Rob B's Reef, 25 bucks. Please send to the cause. Rob Upstate New York, 10 bucks. Reef support. Yeah, all that stuff I will pass along to you guys because... Uh, Amazing. Yeah, yeah. Keep it coming, folks. No, that's really good. Keep it coming, folks. Yeah, Great. and look, if you jump on the website and um, adopt a coral, you'll actually get one of the fragments in the holding facility. It'll come with its own uh, RFID number, so you'll have an individual uh, number associated with it. You'll learn about where it was collected, GPS location, temperature, depth, water chemistry on the day. It was collected by Dr. Charlie Varon. Um, and then you'll be kept up to date on its growth and pro uh, progress within the facility. So, um, yeah, it's a cool way to keep track of um, what's actually happening in the system. So we're, we're very much uh, keen on, on getting coral adopters. Uh, and, uh, you know, if you are interested in looking after them in your own tanks, please do register because um, it will be you guys that help us uh, look after those backup fragments. It's kind of like data, right? We're just taking a full backup of what's happening on the Great Barrier Reef, putting it in our holding facility, and then you guys will be the assisted backup system. So, That's so cool. Yeah, very cool. Calypso's Reef, thank you so much for that super chat donation. Really, really appreciate it. It will go to the cause. So uh, a couple more questions there, Dean. Uh, what was the temperature of water that the coral started to bleach in? You know, what, what's kind of like that critical temperature that, um, you know, will cause a bleaching event? Yeah, look, it changes along the length of the Great Barrier Reef. Because the, the Great Barrier Reef is 2,300 kilometers long, the temperature in the far north, for instance, is very different to the southern extent. Uh, and so what we were seeing in, um, in the far northern section uh, temperatures were sort of getting up to like 36 in the shallows, uh, you know, zero to five meters. That's that's very, very warm for, for coral. What does that translate to in terms of Fahrenheit? Oh, my God, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I was putting you on the spot. I, I can't figure that out. I got to get onto the website or something like that and do a converting uh, uh, calculation. But uh, I'll do it after the show. But, you know, I guess we're talking about two to three degrees above average. Somebody look that up, please, uh, and, and, and put it in the chat. Yeah, it's just a tipping point for these corals. You know, it, it, what, we, what we actually see is just, um, and I've got drone footage and underwater footage of it, just, you know, paddocks of, of, of white corals as far as you can see, as far as you can swim in every direction. Uh, you know, it was really devastating to see. And that far northern section of the Great Barrier Reef was the most pristine part of the Great Barrier Reef, if not, you know, most pristine part of, of the world's coral reefs, I think. You know, we have very little population up there. There's no big river outflows. There's no huge farming output. So there's no nutrient load. We didn't have any crown of thorns impact. Um, it had been relatively untouched by cyclones for, you know, sort of 10, 15 years. What we considered the wild west of the Great Barrier Reef, you know, no one really goes there. And when you do, you're absolutely... Uh, 
you know, uh, I guess overwhelmed with how beautiful and diverse the corals were and the structures. And then on top of that, all the fish and the sharks and, and everything that goes with a, a very vibrant reef system. And, and what we've seen in 2016 and 2017 was effectively almost like a big bushfire had gone through that area. Wow. And um, what we were left with is, is only the most resilient corals sort of hung on. Um, but yeah, really, really sad to see. And a big wake up call that this, this can happen in a couple of months. Um, you know, I know in other parts of the world, you know, that don't have as big reef systems, uh, this can be devastating to, to local reefs uh, for, for small island nations. Um, so, you know, while it is important, absolutely, on the Great Barrier Reef, you know, and we have a tourism industry and, a, a you know, economic revenue stream that comes from the Great Barrier Reef, for, for lots of people around the world, this is life. Um, they don't have electricity. They don't have refrigeration. So they need coral reefs to actually go out there and catch fish and feed families every single day. And, and so this is a lot more critical for, you know, places throughout Indonesia and, and you know, uh, other places uh, around the equatorial zone of our planet. So um, we feel like we, we, we owe it to those guys to actually, you know, create biobanks, not only in Australia, but we, we have a, a system called a biobank hub, which is almost like a little franchise um, of our facility uh, that you can have in, you know, Fiji, Vanuatu, the Caribbean, Florida, um, where you can collect your local biodiversity of corals and then have them backed up in the facility. Because, you know, there's no point us holding corals that will be, you know, rebuilding Caribbean reefs, for instance, you need to have that locally. So, um, yeah, the system that we're actually building at Cairns Aquarium, and, and I won't go into details because I don't know them uh, to a high degree, um, but that'll be purely plug and play. So whatever system we have created there, and it's, it's using, I guess, equipment, um, that you can actually buy off, you know, most uh, uh, aquarium um, websites. Um, so it's all off-the-shelf stuff. Uh, the idea is that whatever we, we build there can be replicated anywhere in the world because those wholesalers and those distributors uh, are worldwide. So, you know, should the Caribbean, the Red Sea, uh, Indonesia want a biobank facility or a biobank hub, it'll literally be a replica of what we do at Cairns Aquarium. So that's very exciting. Yeah, you, you were talking about, you know, other um, entities that are really impacted by this whole, um, you know, thing that's going on in terms of coral bleaching. And, and this, you know, what I represent, what, what uh, the folks that are tuning in, we're all reef keeping, you know, um, aficionados, right? We're in the reef keeping hobby. That's a very, very small piece, right, in terms of how, you know, uh, uh, an industry can be impacted by what's going on in the, uh, the world's oceans, right? Yeah, uh, I... Absolutely. I mean, you know, there's a lot going on in oceans at the moment, and um, this is just one small piece of the puzzle. You know, like if we delve into microplastics, for instance, we could talk for days and days about the impact there. Um, but I, I feel like uh, the impact that the industry can have on the conservation of corals is actually much greater than the impact on the industry. Um, and it's really... Uh, you know, the ability for the industry and the community to step up to the plate and become, I think, the most uh, significant conservation program for any type of animal around the world. I mean, you know, we can look at the world zoos, for instance, um, and a great example is, you know, Galapagos tortoises. Uh, you know, a couple of years ago, the population was crashing in the, in the Galapagos, and what they actually did was pull all the, the Galapagos tortoises out of the world zoos and created a breeding program, and that's because you know, Galapagos tortoises can live for, you know, 150, 200 years. Um, the same thing with corals, right? They are effectively immortal. As long as you can provide them with the right environmental conditions, we can have a living, uh, I guess, repository or like a coral arc to actually call upon and, and actually rebuild parts of the, the world's coral reefs. And I think that is the most exciting thing uh, uh, available in conservation and, you know, ecology these days. And, and the fact that, you know, people in their homes and offices can actually play a role in that. I don't know any other project that, that has that potential to have, you know, citizens of the world really step up and, and, and be the most significant part of the project. So um, to me, it's, it's exciting what the industry can do for the, the conservation and survival of coral reefs. And look, we're not saying absolutely that this is the, the golden bullet to saving corals. Um, this is just one piece of the puzzle that can help uh, in the future. Um, it was funny, I was talking to a, uh, a sponsor and um, about the uh, the biobank aims and 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 goals and they'd watched a, a Star Trek episode the night before and uh, there was a spaceship up in uh, space somewhere and um, on that spaceship was kind of the 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 world's arc of of animals and there were corals in that spaceship and uh, he kind of thought you know this this could be a future 
um, you know, use of your collection. And uh, I just thought it was a funny sort of look into the future. Of, you know, hopefully we don't get there, but, um, you know, at least the efforts and the, the, um, the impact that we're making today will be there for tomorrow. And I think that's the important bit here is, you know, we can do this now. We're not waiting for anything. Um, this is just pure application now. And um, so, yeah, getting out on the water and getting those corals in the facility is, is what this is all about. And, and once we've ticked that box, everything else can come later because effectively we're, we're, we're stopping the clock. And I think that's the most important bit. And um, I'll go back to the symbionts because this is the only project that actually maintains that symbiotic relationship with both algae and bacteria in the facility. And that's the relationship that's breaking down in nature. So uh, yeah, most people will know how coral bleaching works, but obviously, you know, the, the water temperature gets too warm for too long and um, the uh, symbiotic algae is ejected. And by keeping living fragments in the facility and holding them at about 23 degrees, someone can do the conversion there. Um, that seems to be the sweet spot for most corals. Uh, we're actually retaining that relationship and, and, and no other project does that. So yeah, I think it's really important that we're able to do that. So uh, Dean, somebody had asked the, uh, oh, by the way, um, I'm sorry if I'm going to mispronounce his name, um, Manoj Santush. Thank you very much for the uh, super chat. Um, so somebody had asked a question, I think it was uh, RC Reefer. Um, do you guys do any ICP testing of the water in the Great Barrier Reef, or are you pretty much concerned with temperature? Is that uh, really the one parameter that um, is of most concern at this point in time? No, we actually do water testing, yeah. We work with Triton Water, um, and we, we take samples out on the Great Barrier Reef where the corals collected on the day, and we try to match as close as possible to the, um, the facility uh, conditions. So um, the one interesting thing about that is if you are looking after your fragment that we send you, um, you'll actually be given that water chemistry sample uh, signature. Um, and, and, you know, should you wish to, I guess, uh, match that as close as possible in your tank, then you'll be reflecting what's happening on the Great Barrier from the day of collection. And um, I was speaking to a, a, a you know, uh, part of the community over in the US when we launched this program and um, they were communicating with me saying, look, we, we'll start another tank just for biobank fragments so there's no, I guess, uh, biosecurity issues. And, and what we'll do is try to match exactly, you know, the conditions on the day to our tank. Um, and, yeah, I thought that was really, really cool. And um, it kind of spurred us on to make sure that, you know, we, we have every bit of available information from the day of collection. That's really cool. Um, <clears throat> Rob Upstate New York is asking again, um, adopt Coral website again. What was the uh, the website there, Dean? To, uh, sign, uh, up, to sign up? It's either on reeflegacy.org. Uh, or coralbiobank.org. And that's where you could um, go sign up to um, yeah. be a host for a frag of coral. Absolutely. Do you want me to put it in the chat? Would that help? Yeah, sure. Put the link in. I could put the link in uh, afterwards as well. No worries. Thank you so much. Sounds like we're getting a great response. Yeah, there. for sure. Oh, let me uh, let me grab that from Skype there. Hang on, folks. Uh, chat. Uh, copy. All right, I'm gonna put it in there. Coralbiobank.org. That's uh, one of them. And the other is um... Reef Legacy. So great reeflegacy.org. So that's obviously the, the, the um, organization. And then uh, the coralbiobank.org is the, the project website. Awesome. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, so one other question here from somebody else. Um, what would you suspect to be? Okay, um, I got diverted there. Sorry, Dean. So, so uh, there, there, there's obviously a lot of organizations involved in terms of uh, impacting the uh, success of this project. And and um, in in researching the um, what you guys do before the live stream, I wanted to kind of dig around a little bit on your website. And um, I saw that you're inviting collaboration with 72 clan groups along the Great Barrier Reef. Can can you uh, speak to that? And uh, what are these clan groups actually? Um, you know, how are they involved? Absolutely. Yeah, we're actually just um, 
hopefully going down the road of creating the first Living Coral Biobank hub, which is one of those franchise, uh, I guess, uh, facilities uh, with one of the groups here in Australia, uh, Double Wuru Aboriginal Corporation, and they are out of Cairns. Uh, so they're just down the road from us. And the idea there is that um, we'll have traditional owner-led I guess, holding facilities. Um, and each one of these clan groups kind of looks after a, a different bit of sea country. It's kind of like their, their cultural access or, or ownership of the, the Great Barrier Reef. And um, the idea is to have about 12 of these along the length of the Great Barrier Reef, um, where we'll actually go out and collect and then hold the local biodiversity of corals. And the reason for doing that is um, there's restrictions here in Australia about collecting and then re-transplanting out to different parts of the Great Barrier Reef, and, and that's an absolute no-no at the moment. Uh, it's about a 50 kilometre, uh, which is probably about a 35 mile, maybe, if I'm going to convert correctly, um, kind of radius where you can actually take corals and then put them back out on the reef. So to overcome that and to ensure that we're actually getting the geographic biodiversity spread along the Great Barrier Reef. Uh, yeah, we'll be working with traditional owners to actually create living coral biobank hubs. And then beyond that, uh, you know, we want those hubs to exist elsewhere around the world too. So this will be a pilot program. Um, you know, if you're in Fiji, you should have your own biobank hub, uh, Vanuatu, Indonesia, Caribbean, Florida, you name it. Um, everywhere should have a, a local repository of living coral diversity, um, you know, should a catastrophic event actually occur. And, you know, in Florida, for instance, we're seeing, a, you know, a disease go through there. They're collecting corals. They're hoping for the disease to pass and then we'll go out and replant those corals. So, you know, in Florida, this is happening way too fast, uh, you know, for, for anyone's um, hopes and dreams uh, here on the Great Barrier Reef. This is kind of an insurance policy, but there they're already having to do biobanking just just to uh, keep their corals going. So, folks, I want to remind you to please hit the uh, like button so more people can find this uh, live stream <clears throat> and see more folks are coming in. And I uh, also want to remind everybody that all Super Chat donations will be redonated to the Living Coral Biobank. So, um, yeah, if you want to donate to a very, very worthy cause, then... Uh, it will uh, it will find its way to Dean and, and his organization. Um, right. Okay. Sammy thirty one D makes a good point too, though. If you want to donate directly to the uh, site, <clears throat> YouTube will take a little little piece of the uh, super chat donation. So if you want uh, if you want to if you want to uh, keep YouTube out of the uh, out of the picture, <laughs> then you could donate directly at at the uh, at e either one of those websites, right? That uh, I put in the uh, yeah, coralbiobank.org yep. and reeflegacy.org. Yeah, um, yep. so you could both sign up to um, to have uh, frags in your home tank as well as donate money directly to the cause. But yeah, just uh, I also wanted to try to do whatever part I can. Dean to uh, pass along some donations to you guys. Um, oh, thank you so much. I'll put the apps. Uh, the, so the coralbiobank.org website takes you straight to the donate, and that's adopt a coral or become a biobank supporter, sponsor a tank, any one of those options. So I'll put that in the chat, okay. and that will give the most direct access to to where people need to go. Donate. There we go. Directly. Uh, bear with us, folks. Coming through on the chat. And thank you so much. You guys are amazing. I mean, you know, what a response. I've done a lot of uh, podcasts and, and, you know, webinar type sessions, but I've never seen a response like this. So clearly, I, I think the community is 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 very much active and, and, and supportive of what we're trying to do. So, yeah, thank you. You guys are Yeah, awesome. no, for sure. Let me uh, get to the right spot here, and hopefully this uh, link will uh, paste in correctly. Yes. Got it. Um, so, Dean, obviously, um, this is not just happening on the Great Barrier Reef. This is happening, you know, across the world on on coral reefs. What? Um, what? How? How? Um, so, a couple of questions for you. How? How um, do you balance that in terms of there's other governments involved, right? And obviously, there's um, certain things going on, and, and some countries are are being a lot um, more cognizant of the you know carbon emissions and and what have you and and uh you know so it's difficult right to prevent the global warming if you don't have a lot of countries on the same page in that regard how do, how do you guys do you guys even um you know get involved with those kind of um issues in terms of other government involvement or do you just pretty much have to kind of play in your own sandbox so to speak uh we kind of play in our own sandbox but um i think we're getting a lot of media interest at the moment and um, 
you know, we had a French film documentary crew come out. We've got uh, one from New Zealand. Um, uh, we've had a few US uh, media crews. And so I think that by doing international media on the project, we're actually sort of spreading the word. Um, we can only do so much here in Australia. And um, look, there are organisations dedicated to, you know, I guess, um, advocacy or, or sort of, you know, political awareness. And, and they do a really good job at that. I think uh, just to streamline our efforts on the ground, we kind of, you know, keep our head down and bum up and, and just get the job done. Um, but we're certainly, you know, uh, regular speakers in the media about what's going on on the Great Barrier Reef, what needs to be done in terms of, I guess, climate action, and, and hopefully being a strong and, and trusted voice on that front. Um, and, and we have had a really good response by doing that in, in seeing different, uh, I guess, government policies and, and just, you know, I guess, acknowledgement that... Uh, the, that climate change is the single biggest threat to the Great Barrier Reef and coral reefs worldwide. Prior to 20, 2016, you know, that wasn't a, a, a regular statement at all. And we were one of the first teams out there underwater showing the world what was happening in terms of the bleaching impact. And, you know, what we were seeing from our government was uh, almost, uh, you know, a nothing to see here response. Mm. Um, you know, what are you guys talking about? You, you know, you don't know what you're talking about. And I remember Leonardo DiCaprio, you know, had come out with his um, documentary series uh, after the flood. Um, and so the Queensland government said, you know, there, there's nothing to see here, Leo. Come out and see the Great Barrier Reef. It's fine. You know, we'll, we'll take you to the best <clears> spots. And so we did a counter offer in the media and we said, look, Leonardo DiCaprio, we're very happy to show you exactly what's going on from a scientific point of view and actually show you what we're seeing. And um, that was well picked up by the media. So I think being a little bit cheeky every now and then probably works uh, in our favour. Unfortunately, we weren't able to get Leo's attention. We had a um, we had a couple of hundred people here in Port Douglas get out on the beach and actually spell out in human letters, Leo join legacy but um <laughs> yeah unfortunately he didn't come to the party Bummer. so if anyone knows leonardo dicaprio uh, <laughs> give him a message and say we're, we're we're trying to get his attention pass that along so all right you, you uh <laughs> we, we know that the australian government is not supporting this uh project presently but um what what are they doing to uh to help with this issue you know what what uh, projects are they supporting at this point in time Absolutely. So their key areas that they're looking at is water quality. Uh, we have a lot of farm runoff here on the Great Barrier Reef catchment. And because uh, we are in a tropical monsoon area, we have big wet seasons, uh, which means, you know, mega, mega, mega litres of water, you know, running off the land and into the into the water, taking with them nutrients and, and sediments. That's a major issue. That's something that's been going on for, you know, 50, 100 years. Um, they haven't solved that problem, but they're certainly working towards it. Cranathorn starfish, still an issue. We still see outbreaks and they're linked to the amount of nutrients going in the water. Um, so those two things are, are connected. Um, uh, I guess reef restoration is a key area. So that's actually doing on the ground efforts in the water, uh, looking at fragments of opportunity. So fra fragments of coral that have been broken off through storm events or snorkeler activity on tourism sites can now be replanted. Uh, they're also using reef type structures uh, to rehabilitate reefs that have become rubble fields, I guess. Um, and they also put a lot of money towards traditional owner-led projects. So, um, look, they're, they're doing all the right things, um, absolutely, and, and one day will fall on their radar. Um, and I think as this project becomes more prominent and, and, you know, gains more attention in the ways that we're hoping it will, um, they will come to the party. But right now we're, we're on our own. And, um, yeah, I, I think that's uh, both... Uh, a sweet and sour proposition. So um, yeah, we're, we're, we're doing well. We're, we're still here. So, so Dean, one thing that pops into my mind, you know, is um, where would the corals go, you know, in the bio, you know, well, let, 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 let me, let me word it this way. I know what you guys are doing is you're essentially banking these corals until the conditions out in the oceans improve, right? Until, um, until the water temperatures stop rising so quickly. But, um, you know, what happens, I guess, if that doesn't occur, if the temperatures are, are still at levels where it's just not good to put the corals back into, um, you know, onto the Great Barrier Reef, where, you know, what happens then? Would you guys be looking at other areas of the world in terms of coral reefs to replant these um, corals? Or is there another kind of thought process that you guys are thinking about? Yeah, that's a, a really fundamental question. And it's certainly not one that we're tackling uh, at the moment. Um, I, I guess our pure drive is to just get the corals in the facility and, and hold them in perpetuity uh, should we need them. Um, we're hoping that we don't need them, um, but it's looking more and more likely that we will. Um, I guess 
if we've at least got the living stock of corals, kind of like the global seed vault in Svalbard that looks after the world's, you know, crop seeds, um, you know, should catastrophic events occur, then they've at least got something to recall. I think that's the idea really of the, the living coral biobank is A, for their ultimate conservation and then B, to supply fragments for reef research and restoration efforts. So, you know, I spoke about the, the project earlier about adapted evolution where they're looking at, you know, species like Acropora tenuous and saying, you know, this coral does pretty much you know, perfect, despite what temperature conditions actually occur. Um, you know, is there something we can learn about that coral? Can we take the symbiotic algae within that coral and actually transfer it into other species? And, you know, so they're running those experiments now and at the Australian uh, Sea Simulator at the Australian Institute of Marine Science, they're actually doing futuristic kind of experiments where they have, you know, um, proposed water temperature and water chemistry and then running these corals in there and just seeing how they actually do um, and, and they're looking at you know a couple of species at the moment but eventually what they'll hope to do is actually you know transfer that knowledge and and I guess evolutionary adaption to a range of species and that's where the biobank will come into play because we will have that living stock on hand so should they say okay let's now try this on you know 20 of the the 400 species on the great barrier reef uh, and then there'll be a farm out type of scenario and then there'll be a replanting so if you don't have that living stock initially you you can't do those kind of uh, activities so really our job i think um, is to, to just have that living stock on hand so yeah a lot of people ask, well, are you going to do this? Are you going to do that? And absolutely, I think they're all very valid uh, propositions. But for me, in my mind, this project is large enough just to get the corals in the door and, and in the tanks and, and safe and sound. And, yeah, we're just going to focus on that for now and, and hope that all these other projects that look at all those alternatives, you know, can actually look at this resource and say, yes, thank God you did that. We can now access, you know, all these different species and, and, and look at rebuilding and, and actually uh, evolutionary adapting different species to get them back out on the reef. Again, uh, folks, if you want to donate directly, uh, visit uh, coralbiobank.org slash donate. Um, I know somebody mentioned in the chat that uh, YouTube takes about 30% in terms of the super chat, but I'm going to, um, I'm going to pass along the, uh, the true value that everybody has donated. So it, it will not be minus the 30% that YouTube will be taking after this is all said and done. So you're uh, your total donations will be passed along to uh, to Dean and his uh, organization. But, uh, yeah, pro nice. probably the best thing to do is to go and donate directly to those guys. Um, Dean, a question. Um, Bill Saltwater Haven is on your website. says there is nothing about adopting a frag for our tanks to grow. All I see is adopt a frag for $40 a month, and they will send you a number and a pick, and they will send you updates on how it's doing. Is there is there another part yeah. of the site there that he's missing? Um, there should be an area where you can register your interest. Uh, let me have a look. Hydraspace uh, LLC, thank you so much for that super jet chat donation. Amazing, amazing. Um, let me just check. I'm just on our websites now. Chris, what's happening from ACI Aquaculture? Uh... Yeah, um, Reefkeeper saying bills is over. It's there. You you have to click register your interest. Ah, uh, yeah. Sorry. Yes. Sorry, I didn't make it easier. We're actually going through a website overhaul at the moment, so I will take all these uh, comments into consideration because we want it to be easy as possible for for people to get involved. Um, and it's exciting because you can be involved, and I think that's just you know such a great aspect of the project. Um, Blue Reef is asking. I mean, will there be instructions in terms of um, recommended lighting and equipment that you should be using to uh, house these um, corals that you're going to be putting in your tanks? Absolutely. There actually be prerequisite um, conditions of your tanks before we actually send out fragments. And that's so we're not sending out fragments to, you know, someone who's just bought a tank that day and, um, you know, probably will likely uh, see the, the demise of that fragment. So, yeah, you'll have to be a, a registered user and a member of the Biobank project and meet a set of uh, prerequisite conditions for your tank um, before we'll send out fragments. So, yeah, rest assured that when the fragments come to you, um, you will be uh, an approved uh, tank operator. And what will happen is, you know, you'll get sent all the information of your fragment. It will come on a microchip base, but then you register all your tank conditions and you can actually track over time how your tank's um, going, uh, you know, 
considering other tanks that are out there in existence as well. So it'll become a, a really big community. And, you know, chances are there'll be someone out there who has the perfect conditions for a particular type of coral. And, and, and those conditions will actually, you know, be used in the database and perhaps in the future for looking after, you know, fragments in the future. So, um, yeah, I think it's really exciting that everyone has a slightly different setup. Um, and, you know, some will be better for corals than others uh, and, and certain types of corals. And I think that's just so exciting is, is that, you know, you may be, you, you might hold the key to, um, you know, a particular type of coral. So, uh, yeah, being able to register all your environmental conditions is, is very, very exciting. Chris from ACI, man, you should definitely uh, sign up, register, because this guy, Chris uh, Eckley from ACI Aquaculture, he grows corals like weeds. So he would be a good guy to, uh, <laughs> to have in this program in terms of banking corals for the future. No doubt. Um, Blue Reef um, is asking, when you give them the corals to people, will they be in maricultured stages or will they actually be like fragments? They'll be fragments and they'll be on a microchip base. So um, when you get your fragment, it'll come with a, a little uh, membership card um, uh, and you'll be able to read your fragment with your phone. Uh, That's cool. have a little... Um, microchip inside and that will then populate the database for you and and you'll create your own membership uh page and that fragment um yeah will will be yours and and be then put into the system um and what we'll probably do is um have little packages of one three five ten fragments um and then prices according uh and you know at the moment we're thinking we, we probably won't send you something specific that you're chasing but you know kind of like a uh, a lucky dip little grab bag of, of different types of corals selected by our aquarists who know the industry very, very well. Um, and, and so we'll know relatively what you're after, but we certainly can't give you everything that you'd like. There'll be some in there that, you know, we get told, uh, you know, the industry will be interested in all the, the ornamental species and they won't be interested in brown and stick corals. And we're like, well, we need to keep those alive as well. So, uh, yeah, so it'll be a little mixed bag of um, different types of corals for you to look after. Uh, Blue Reef, I hope I um, conveyed your question correctly in terms of what you meant by maricultured stages. And I, I just made a, an assumption there. Um, so, Dean, I know uh, we're getting short on time here. I got a couple of um, other quick questions there for you, though. Uh, any connection to the coral aquarium trade with this project is is one potential use of the biobank to help support coral exporters uh not necessarily we have a very close connection i mean it, we are in absolute partnership with the coral trade uh, we work with cans marine we work with sustainable reefs we use commercial coral collectors to collect the corals for the biobank project again you know i'm no expert in this and and nor is our team we bring you know to the table uh, experts from a range of fields, and, and one of those is the uh, coral collecting industry. Um, they're interested, of course, because it, it really gives purpose to their industry. It's not just sending out corals for ornamental purposes. This is now, you know, considered, uh, you know, one of the, the biggest coral conservation projects uh, globally. Um, so I think they're excited that, you know, they're playing a role in this, and, and so can you. Um, it will potentially... Uh, open up a slightly different market for them to be able to uh, distribute corals um, that normally wouldn't be on the ornamental list. Um, and, and they're the, you know, some of the corals that you may not have considered to be put in tanks. Um, but because of the project, because of its uh, importance in its conservation, um, they believe that, yeah, uh, the, the uptake from, I guess, the community will be relatively high and, and allow them to, you know, access different parts of the market as well. So we can't do it without them. We certainly wouldn't want to do it without them. They, they are an absolute keystone part of this project. And, um, yeah, we just love working with the industry. And uh, each and every day that I, I communicate uh, with the, the guys here in uh, Cairns, I, I, I learn a little bit more. I mean, you know, it's not a job for these guys. It's, a, it's an absolute passion. It, they, they love corals more than anything. And, and that is absolutely... Um, yeah, just fantastic to see. So we're working with, you know, the highest coral enthusiasts, I think, uh, that I certainly know. And and I can tell that you guys are too, uh, just from the donations and the questions. And yeah, I, I think this is without question, you know, one of the, the biggest globally uh, citizen-driven conservation projects in existence. It's, it's, it's fantastic. Mike Barrett, thank you so much for that very generous uh, super chat. I'll be sure to uh, be passing that along to Dean. Um, so another question I had for you, um, Dean, what, what, any comments that you have or any thoughts that you have when you see that, um, you know, coral bands are, are going into play in terms of coral exports? You know, I think um, the uh, LPS corals have been uh, essentially banned in terms of exports from Australia to Europe. What, what, what kind of, um, you know, thoughts go through your head when you, when you see stuff like that happening? 
Yeah, look, I think we're probably going to see more of this in the future. I think as corals become more vulnerable to environmental change and therefore collection and a fishery, I guess, resource, we will see restrictions imposed. Um, I don't think we're going to get around that. Uh, we're just going to have to approve as a project and an industry that what, you know, what this community and industry can do to play a role in the conservation of corals is actually really, really strong. And I think that's one of the, the biggest things that we'll be pushing for in Australia here. And I think the government's actually recognising the, the role that industry and, and uh, the community can play. And um, yeah, it's a tough one. I mean, you know, we're, we're just seeing corals disappear all around the world. And I think this is going to be um, something that, you know, won't go away. Uh, people like Sustainable Reefs, Shane Coleman out there, uh, you know, their whole model is looking at, you know, holding, uh, I guess, mother stock and, and fragmenting within house um, so you're not actually collecting in the wild. So, look, I think uh, the industry are adapting and I think the uptake of those corals is actually quite high um, and I really like that approach. Um, we certainly don't want to be taking the last corals on the Great Barrier Reef out of existence just to put in tanks. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's not something we can escape. So, um uh, Chris Macy Agriculture is asking a question, and, so, and some folks that are maybe just coming in the stream have probably the same question. What, what's the quickest way you can sum up, Dean? You know how um, what what um, what are the donations going towards? What uh, what would you Absolutely. say? Absolutely. So, yeah, if you adopt a coral, um, then the donations go directly to the care and maintenance of that fragment within our holding facility. Uh, you know, chemicals, uh, salts, minerals. What? Uh, so that's power. like a, that's adopting a coral. You could you could essentially donate uh, forty dollars a month to adopt that coral. Yep. And then a pure donation will go to actually collecting. So getting the boat out on the water, uh, Charlie and the coral collector and myself uh, down there and actually putting new species into the biobank. So that's our biggest, um, you know, missing part of the the puzzle, the funding puzzle. We have all the equipment necessary now. Uh, to, to move forward. Now it's just getting out on the water as often as we can. So all your donations that are coming through, um, you know, bar the, the adopter coral, uh, will actually go to on-water activities. So yeah, we'll, we'll keep Keith updated on how we progress. We've got a, a three-day collecting trip coming up with a documentary team um, in mid-August uh, and we hope to, you know, get an, an additional 60 to 100 species then. So we hope to have 50% of Great Barrier Reef coral biodiversity collected by the end of the year. So that's 200 of the 400 species. And what's really interesting about this process is because we're actually doing the genetic analysis on every coral that comes out of the water, this will actually find new species through this process, uh, through Queensland Museum's genetic analysis. So, you know, it's very likely that we'll, we'll discover, you know, 50 to 100 new coral species through this uh, process of, of collecting and, and analyzing. I mean, pretty much in a nutshell, you guys, this project is all about banking corals, you know, the 800 different species of corals, Sony corals, right, on the Great Barrier Reef that, um, you know, are experiencing bleaching events. So you're creating this coral bank for the future yep. when conditions hopefully improve on the Great Barrier Reef and other reefs around the world where they could be planted back in to really save the, the wild corals of the world. Yeah, it's just, you know, uh, securing the wild stock of corals. It's, it's kind of like doing a complete data backup of the world's coral species. Um, we know they exist in nature. They don't currently exist uh, anywhere in a holding facility. And, and we hope to be that ultimate holding facility for, for global corals. So there are about 400 species of stony coral on the Great Barrier Reef and an additional 400 species around the world. So about 800 to 1,000 worldwide. And as I said, through this process, there'll be many, many new species. So your fragment might actually be a new species that you adopt. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just to have that insurance policy in place. You know, once they're gone, they're gone forever. And unless we do this, um, we, we won't get them back. Um, all right. Last question, I promise here, Dean. Um, this is from Blue Reef. Are you guys, this is an interesting question. Uh, are you guys catching the coral spawning tiny eggs or just taking them out? Any banking eggs and sperm? Absolutely. No. Um, we collect live coral fragments now, uh, but within the holding facilities, the plan is to have around 20 to 30 representatives of every species. And that's because the ecological and biological question behind this is, you know, how many do you need of every one coral species to actually say that you've conserved it and have enough genetic uh, diversity within species to actually go on and, and create a population that's going to be, you know, resilient to, uh, I guess, future environmental changes. And so the idea is to have 
obviously asexual reproduction, which is fragmenting, but also the potential for uh, sexual reproduction. So having those uh, different representatives of each species in a tank system, collecting the coral uh, spawn, um, having them sexually reproduce that way and create this you know, new, I guess, stock of corals uh, and genetic diversity as time goes on. The coral spawn will also be collected for the uh, cryogenic freezing uh, coral biobank project uh, led by the Smithsonian Institute. Um, and they actually look at uh, collecting sperm from each coral species. So we'll be supplying uh, the, the the spawn for, for that project as well. So yeah, it's, it's really a the ultimate coral resource without having to go out to the reef and collecting. It's its this full catalogue of, of living species to call upon. All right, Dean, I'm going to let you go because uh, I know you're a very busy guy. <laughs> you probably got to go out the side door right there and, and go on a dive mission out into the Great Barrier Reef. Uh, again, very, very uh, jealous. So um, I think we've um, made it clear to folks, <clears throat> if you didn't hear, you want to donate directly to uh, Dean's organization, the Living Coral Biobank, then uh, visit the um, Great Barrier Reef. Well, so let's see. I got I got a whole bunch of links here, Dean. I gotta like keep track of these links here. <laughs> the last one's probably the best. The one. last one. The uh, yep. Yeah, the slash donate and that's probably the best way to go. And that will lead you into uh, all the um, the donate options and and to be able to register your interest as a a, a tank, I guess, host. Awesome. All right, Dean. Well, listen, man, thank you very much. And I uh, really appreciate you taking the time, taking the time out of your Friday morning to be with us uh, in, in uh, direct from Australia. That's so cool. I also want to thank uh, Bulk Reef Supply and Ecotech Marine for being the uh, co-sponsors of this live stream. And I also want to thank all you folks out there that um, dropped uh, donations in the super chat. Those will go directly in their full amount. YouTube's not going to take a cut of these donations. They're going, I'm going to send them directly to uh, the Dean's organization, so you don't have to worry about that. But the best way to donate is to go directly to their website that Dean just uh, talked about. Finally, a big thank you to Paul, the uh, who was our, our moderator. Thanks again, Paul. And I also want to let all you folks know that all episodes of Wrapping with Reef Bum are available as podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Amazon. My next Wrapping with Reef Bum live stream will be next Thursday, July 28th at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time with Chris Meckley from ACI Aquaculture, who will be back on the show. We're not going to be talking about Cockwasser or pH, so we're not going to be talking about those two topics next week, just so you know. And, um, yeah, if you want to check out the full upcoming schedule of uh, guests on Wrapping with Reef Bum, Visit reefbum.com and visit the YouTube section. So until then, be safe and we will see you next time.